You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain. With none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. Today, we are here with a particularly interesting guest, Nick Whitehurst. So Nick competed at the World Transplant Games, something that I'd never heard of, and we're going to go into what that is, and placed gold in squash. So really interesting story behind Nick's process, what brought him up to this point, and uh, yeah, really excited to speak to him. So hello, Nick. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what is the World Transplant Games and generally your, your story? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, probably the easiest place to start is at the beginning, I guess. Um, so around about two years ago, actually, next week, um, I came back from holiday um, where I'd had you know, a nice time in Spain with my family and then started to feel a bit unwell. Um, I felt you know, just tired, lethargic, a bit sick. And then after a couple of days of that, I went to the doctors who said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. you know, crack on, you've got a virus. Um, another week passed and, and that carried on. And then I started to go yellow. And then went off to have a few blood tests, and then raced to the um, to have a scan, and then was sent straight to a consultant, and then was sent some more blood tests. And uh, the following day, I got a call to tell me to go straight to hospital, uh, where I sort of lay for a week, gradually going more and more yellow, whilst I'd got uh, liver failure. So ordinarily, it sorts itself out. It's a pretty robust organ in your body, um, and every now and then, it completely fails. And then the following week. Mine fails, I sort of went a bit doolally um, and then was rushed straight to Adam Brooks from Nottingham and woke up the next day or the day after the next day having had a liver transplant. So um, it was all pretty rushed. Uh, I don't remember an awful lot about it. I remember waking up um, wondering where I was and then quite a rapid recovery after that. So, you know, it's quite a, a traumatic operation. It's probably, you know, one of the biggest transplant operations you can have in duration. Um, sort of 12, 13 hours into the knife and then uh, woke up and, and, and it was probably my life-changing moment, I guess. So, um, Sounds yeah, very, was, very unexpected. What was the kind of time frame from coming back from holiday and waking up from uh, the transplant? Four weeks from start to finish. So, yeah, and three weeks from sort of starting to feel pretty, a bit ropey and then two weeks from going yellow and then uh, starting to go yellow and then, uh, yeah, having having it all been done. So, um, and usually these things are, you know, uh, usually liver failure is pretty chronic. So I think the doctor said to me, it happens about 25 times a year in this country where somebody just gets ill, has acute liver failure and ends up having a transplant for whatever reason. So it can be an allergy to a bee sting. It can be, you know, a reaction to medication or whatever. So It's an extremely um, yeah, rapid I'm, downturn for, for such a short period as well, especially as you said with the liver. So um, did you ever get a diagnosis for what was going wrong? No, never. So the uh, mystery virus is, is what came back. So they took out, I think your liver is supposed to be about a kilo and a half. Mine came out at half a kilo um, of, of mush. So they uh, so there was no way of really analysing it or finding out what was wrong with it. Um, I suppose the flip side, the positive side, is I had no idea the sort of size and scale of the operation that you're about to you know go under and, and equally had no choice. So you get on with it, you wake up and... and being healthy and not being very ill beforehand meant I was, you know, sat out of bed that day, meant I was walking around two days later and meant I was out of hospital after a week. So I see, um, I see. so you bounce, you can bounce back pretty quickly um, once you kind of got over the, the original, you know, the, the initial shock of it all. 
So how did you feel at the time? You said you you weren't you were kind of in blissful ignorance, so you weren't really uh, aware of what was coming. Yeah, I mean, you, I would have died the next day, so you know you, you have no choice in the matter, um, and you just have to try and accept it. I think probably the hardest bit's the mental bit, because obviously someone died in order for you to to, to live. Um, so you know they, they came they came and talked to me in the hospital two days later and said you know we can give you some information we can tell you the the age and sex of the person who's donated their organ to you and you sort of go sex you know I, I just imagine it would be a bloke <laughs> um, and it's not so you know most of it's really trying to get your head around what's happened and try and deal with all of that whilst at the same time trying to physically recover as well so yeah it takes a long time um, but whilst I was there. Um, a few people came to visit me, um, you know, from different organisations, and, and one of them mentioned to me the British Transplant Games, um, which was in Liverpool last summer. So probably about uh, nine months after I'd had my operation, and I lay there and I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to try and play in that. You know, I'm going to set that as my goal. Um, and yeah, so I kind of set about, you know, within three or four weeks of the operation, trying to get fit, um, and then. You know, trying to get back on a squash court and then try and go out there and play. So I managed to do that. So, and did you play squash before the transplant? I played quite a lot. So I played a lot as a junior, and then I'd uh, I played a lot as a sort of club player for years. Um, I'd stopped. I had a big op- knee operation ten years ago, and then I started again. And my son started playing. So I was playing kind of club squash, um, probably you know once or twice a week. And this was my incentive to try and get back on the court as quick as I could and and you know get fit again. So I'm quite interested in the um, the roller coaster of emotion that must have been going on, sort of pre and post transplant. So you said mm-hmm. that you know you you were able to find out the age and sex of the person who who donated. Um, how long were you waiting for the for the liver for the donor to begin with? So for, uh, in my part, uh, I was transported to Addenbrooke's on the Wednesday evening. Uh, Wednesday night, I went to the top of the national list. Um, my wife tells me I don't obviously remember any of it. I was in the intensive care. Um, Thursday morning, they, when she got back, they told her that they'd got a liver. And that lunchtime, I went down to the operating theatre. Right. So, so when when you said do lally, that's just classic British understating. Like you were in intensive care. <laughs> yeah, I was in intensive care. It's, it's, it's encephalopathy, isn't it? I think brain fog. So you don't really know where you are. You don't know much about what's going on. So it's right. uh, so, yeah. so were you feeling delirious and? and so on as well or you just completely lost yeah, it I, mean, I was pumped full of liquid to kind of keep me going and try and you know give it give it its best shot because they don't know when when something's become going to become available so you know so all the different drugs so i think it was very pretty close to um you know being sedated and put into a coma um i see at one point and so, so then when you woke up from the operation did you did you go and seek to um find out more about the donor and their family yeah, so there's, there's, um, after a few days, they, they, they're absolutely amazing in the hospital. The nurses, the doctors, the transplant coordinators, you know, just helping you deal with it all. Um, and the, the coordinators came to me and said, you know, I, I, I'd urge you not to give me an answer now. You know, just go and think about it. We can tell you lots. We, you know, we can give you a bit of information or, or nothing. Um, and I wanted to know. And then um, uh, latterly, you, you can write to them. So it's a very anonymous scheme here. So all, all of the correspondence or any correspondence goes through the hospital um, who vet it all and make sure that it, it make, make sure it maintains its anonymity. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote to the uh, family of the donor um, of about six or eight weeks later 
and then I got a nice letter back from them, which I think is quite rare as well. Right. Um, okay. You know, a month or so after that, giving me a lot more background on the lady whose whose liver it was, what had happened to her, which is obviously you know quite saddening and you know makes you makes you sit and, and think about it all quite a lot, really. So, yeah, the mental side of it's probably, you know, harder to deal with, certainly, than the physical. Definitely. Very mixed emotions there, but I'm sure that the family would be proud that, that you know, you're going on to do this and, and making the best of the situation. Yeah, I think that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You've got to kind of do them proud and, and you know, part of them lives on, I guess. So, you, you know, you try and do what you can. Yeah, to, massively. Right. Um, so. And so you said you played squash before the transplant. Was there any difference in the intensity that you were training with or the thing that motivated you before and after? Um, I think before I was doing it just to try and, you know, almost beer tokens, I think probably is probably what it was, you know. <laughs> play, so therefore you can have a drink or you feel slightly less guilty about going out at the weekend or whatever it is. And, just and to offset. Yeah, I think that's it. It's a constant uh, equation in your, in, in your body trying to work out what it is that you've done in order to earn, to earn, earn the ability to do something bad. Um certainly in my case anyway. So um, I, I didn't train with any particular intensity. I enjoyed playing, you know. Um, but I first of all, I had to kind of get, get walking, get moving, and then sort of get back on the court. And I suppose the biggest thing that disappears after that sort of operation is any sort of stamina. So whilst I could get back to the level of shot-making and a little bit of speed, such as I ever have very much anyway, it's that kind of stamina of, uh, you know, being able to have some reserve of fitness that completely disappears and and just takes months to come back, um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's tough. I see. So I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit further, but just before we go on, can you explain to people listening what is the World Transplant Games and what's what's their vision, what's the criteria yeah. for so being able to so compete? Transplant Sport in the UK is a big organisation in itself, so it's probably easier to start with that. So the British Transplant Games happens every year. Uh, we came up from Glasgow a few weeks ago. Next year we're in Birmingham. Um, and the, I went to Liverpool for my first one, and you sort of, I was, it's quite overwhelming when you get there. You know, there was the opening ceremony, probably 1,500 people in a, in a big convention centre that otherwise probably wouldn't have been there. So, that, you know, that's a sort of humbling experience in itself. And then uh, everybody represents their hospital, so you know, you, and you play all, all sorts of different sports. Uh, you know, team and individual. So there's athletics, there's all the swimming events, there's volleyball teams, there's everything from archery to bowls through to ra- all the racket sports as well. Um, so the Adam Brooks team, who I play for, there's about 50, 60 people in the team, and then you get down to all the junior hospitals as well. So there's all the kids who've had transplants. Um, there's a team of live donors, people who've given their kidneys to to different people as well. Um, so it's quite a humbling experience when you kind of walk into that arena, but great fun. And through that, you meet lots of people who've, you know, got got a similar story to you, or, or you know, something even uh, that, that you probably wouldn't imagine you'd ever meet someone who'd been in a worse situation than you've been in. But you generally do pretty quickly. Um, but you also meet some inspirational people. You know, people who've had a transplant thirty years that have played in every transplant game, you know, during that period and lead, you know, fit and healthy lives. So. It, it, transplant sport is all about trying to promote fitness post-transplant to show people that life doesn't change or, you know, from a fitness point of view, that you can lead a healthy life. It's not, you know, it's not a ticket to, to another five or ten years of um, moping around and feeling sorry for yourself that actually you can get out there. Um, so, you know, that, that's a great event every year. And then from there, if you win that, 
um, or you've won previously in the World Transplant Games, and they pick a team to go there. So there's a, the British team is about 160 um, that went over to Malaga in Spain this time for the for the World Games. So um, yeah, it was it's quite a big event. So a good few thousand people from all over the world uh, congregated in Malaga for the games at the end of June. That is really cool. So there's a huge community around it, and I suppose, as you said, like medically, this is huge, and I think it would have been unimaginable. 40 50 years ago for any of this to happen let alone be functional to the point of of playing sport and competing um after the transplant so massive um yeah it is and i think you know i think in the world in the proper world athletics championships a couple of weeks ago there was an american guy who'd had a kidney transplant so you know it, it shows you that you can get back to normal as one of the British swimmers is a you know proper GB swimmer as well, so you know you can you can still carry on and function. You might not be quite as quite as you know tip top as you were before, but certainly it's a, it's a great Philip and it's a good incentive, especially for all the young kids that end up having transplants for whatever reason that that they can still compete and and lead a full life. You know, so I see. Yeah. Um, and so, are you following? Like, has it kept you more up to speed with the developments in transplantation? now that you've been through one I, I think so I think whether whether it's uh, in changes in transplantation medication all the things that go on to kind of keep people fit and healthy um, you know the, the advances are going on all the time when you come out of hospital you're looking at how long you might live and you know uh, life expectancy rates from this, this that and the other and actually then then almost not worth looking at because the advances are so fast um, however there are you know 7,000 people on a waiting list in the UK and three people dying every day because they don't get a transplant. So, you know, when we sign up, it's to promote organ donation and to try to get as many people as we can to sign up on the register to enable everybody to have the luck that, that I had to get the surgery when you need it. So this is something that, like, personally blows my mind, that it, you have to opt in to become an organ donor. And I imagine if you ask a bunch of people, would you like to donate your organ if you died? Like, so many would say yes, but they just don't know the process to do it. Or And I think any time there's an opt-in process, you have to the the admin headache of doing an extra thing is the thing that's stopping them which is crazy because the the potential gain to someone is so huge mm. um so like my personal opinion is that it should just be an opt-out process and like i mean i've, I've got I, I think in general i've i've got a big bugbear and i've talked about this on propane about things that so like voting should be done online the fact that it's 2017 and we still can't do it the fact that to opt in as an organ organ donor or um, to set up a new account with a with a power supply or anything like you can't just do these things through an online process blows my mind but what are your thoughts anyway before I start going on a rant about like, the opt-in versus opt-out I, I can't see why not you know I remember ticking the box when I passed my driving test you know just to get your drive I think when you get your driving license why the hell on your driving test as well like it's such a it's a weird point to do it yeah I, I don't know Maybe that's a 17 year old thing isn't it and you know would you donate your organs in the, I suppose in the event of a big old car crash mm. um, and I, I just did it and always carried a donor card so for me I, I can't understand why people wouldn't want to donate and, and you don't really speak to anyone who says I wouldn't want to however I suppose at the time you know people don't want to give up different things and and you know for whatever reason uh, I, so I think you're absolutely right people should have to opt out. I think it's coming. I think it's, you know, in in France, it's in now. So um, I, I think we'll get around to it. 
when we get around to things in our own in our so. own because <clears throat> I'm sure I don't think it's out of malice either I think it just doesn't feature on people's consciousness no. until it and, and I think as well, it's not there in black and white and the family of the person who's just died aren't completely aware then it's an incredibly difficult decision for them to make in in what is a terrible hour or two or you know for them when they're in the in the depths of grief it's probably something that they don't want to overly think about and I can understand that. And so having that ability to go, well, actually, you know, this person does want that. Um, or this person, it's very difficult then, isn't it? Because has this person not said no, you know? So it's very, mm-hmm. it's very process. And I, so I can understand both sides of it. However, you know, if, if you're in the situation or you ever find yourself or a friend in the situation I was in, then you'd be sat there thinking, well, why would why would you you know not opt into that service, or why would you not, why would you want to ever opt out? Yeah, for um, sure. Like you've you've ended up um, carrying something on beyond yeah. your own grave or beyond someone in your family's grave. You've exactly. given somebody literally a new lease of life as well as yeah. a new appreciation for for that. And um, yeah, so. I assume everyone who's competing in the World Transplant Games, like they, they must have all, if they weren't on the register to begin with, they probably all are now. Yeah, I'll tell you, yeah that's I'm not sure whether we can. I don't know how it works. I mean, I, I just assume that <laughs> we just all keep are passing it on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how many times you can pass it on. Um, but I, yeah, I'd assume we all are. And uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting in many ways, but a bit sad that we're having to look at ways to create organs from pigs. And you know, looking to do all these artificial things when actually that we should be able to do it. You know, I say naturally, certainly more naturally than you know than we do at the moment. So speaking of naturally, um, for people listening, I don't know if you if everyone's um, seen this thing going around in the news the last year or so of an Italian neurosurgeon who is planning to do the world's first head transplant, and there's a guy who is in a wheelchair and suicidal, um, and someone with a with a donor body and they, they're thinking that they can just take his head and put it on the other guy's body the surgeon is convinced that he can do this and the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the medical world have been like this is bullshit you're gonna kill him you're an idiot you're an utter and he i mean it doesn't help that the italian neurosurgeon looks a bit like a mad scientist so um i think like but he he basically says like none of you guys are up to date with the evidence on this you're all just talking from conjecture i'm the one doing the surgery it's going to take like 40 hours and it's going to need a team of 120 people and I'm going to do it. And he's really confident that he is. Have yeah. you been following this yourself, Nick? I haven't followed that. You know, I've seen all the hand transplants. I've seen, you know, all the very complicated things that they're looking at doing about how they're growing organs and things like that. I think, you know, if it's very difficult, isn't it? You know, when, when they first started transplanting, people were living for a few weeks, you know, and, they, they failed, and, and it's like any big medical advance, isn't it? it, it mm. The first time you do it, you're unlikely to succeed straight away. But I think they learn so quickly, some of these guys, that that actually, if there's nothing to lose for either party in those instances, then you know it's a bit of a medical advance, isn't it? And and they should give it a go. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I will be blown if everybody's consenting. Sorry. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Like I'll I'll be blown away if it does work. Um, I think it'll be such a huge step, and it'll it'll certainly um, quiet a lot of people that that doubted this guy. Um, mm. But yeah, I guess we'll see. I think it's scheduled to happen next year or later this year. I'm not sure. 
Well, I shall keep it very close eye out for Alan and uh, yeah, see yeah. see how see how it pans out. We'll see. So speaking of lease of life, Nick, you said that <clears throat> um, your motivation has changed basically. Beforehand, it was all about offsetting the beers, building up beer tokens, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, yeah, th- that's that's actually a concept that we discussed a few weeks back on the One Year No Beer podcast. So if you're listening, check it out. It's with a guy called Rory Fairburns, um, who's the the kind of head of one year no beer um but yeah so you said once that happened now and now you've had a new purpose with competing what changed in your mindset and the way that you approach sport and your health in general um i think part of it i I have no choice you know so part part of it to be fair originally was you know if you if you've got to look after yourself now you have no choice you you've got a second chance you better damn well take it, and and I think that works for a bit, um, you know, in in the newness of it all, and you you become super healthy. I think things start to slip a bit, little bit as you get more back to normal. But I do think there's an undercurrent in me of um, a heightened awareness of my health, the uh, not wanting to put the wrong things into my body now. And being a bit more aware of the, of the chances that I've got, and trying to maintain some a, a bit more of a semblance of a fit and healthy lifestyle, you know. I've, it also, um, without going out all the time, gives you more time to to stay fit and healthy as well. And I think carving out that time to look after yourself is probably just as important a thing when you've got a busy life, when you've got kids, when you you know you're running around all the time. It's easy to put that off, and I think making sure you do it is is key. You're saying not going out all the time. I assume you're not allowed to drink anymore. I can, I can, I can drink. So the odd drink. Um, I think the doctor said to me, "There's no reason why you can't get back to the, you know, the recommended limits of 14 units a week or whatever it is." I probably have uh, one beer a week or a fortnight or something like that. So um, you're not exactly hammering the sesh. No, no. I, I think those days are long gone. Um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So it changes the it changes. It, Change everything, but actually, most things for the better. I was, you know, I was at the hospital the other day, and the doctor said, "Actually, you look a lot better than you did." You know, if you look back before the operation, I look a lot better. I'm probably fitter. I'm probably healthier. You know, I've just got these tablets to take every day, and and you know, to make sure that everything stays fine. That is cool, and I think although it's the such a big cliche, like that health is the greatest wealth, it's one of those things that you take for granted so much until it's compromised, yeah. and then you realise that actually, we are in this vehicle until we die and if we fuck it up then that's it you've you've compromised yourself for for life and i I think being given a a second chance at something like that uh must be huge and it must have been such a such a shift for you even with minor stuff for me it makes me realize like you know bouts of sciatica or whatever and you're like wow like being able to just walk around pain-free is such a luxury that we don't recognize until it's taken away you can always put it off when you when you're sort of normal and and vaguely healthy, you can always put it off, can't you? you? It's always put off going to the gym or put off the diet or put off the change that you need to make until tomorrow because it's only another pound on your belly or whatever it is, and you know it doesn't really matter. Well, actually, when you get that chance, it, it matters a lot, and you've got to take it. Yeah, for sure. So, what lessons have you have you picked up from from competing, from going through the transplant, and is there anything that you would you would uh, pass on to others or to our listeners? I think, I don't know, I'm not one for, for 
passing on pearls of wisdom at, at 43 with two knackered knees and, a, and, a, and second-hand parts. But um, I, I just think I, it, anything with fitness is mostly in your head, and, and that you know that's still the same. The, the determination to compete and to get out there and to better yourself, um, combined with some good coaching, some good motivation, some good sports science and sports massage and those things could you know to keep my body in one piece was vital to me to be able to compete and and get back to a level where I could you know be proud of myself really and and get out there and and do myself justice that's interesting and I think it's possible to as paradoxical as it sounds to neglect your health while still be heavily engaged in sport and that's definitely something that uh, that Johnny and I have done ourselves where we're so focused on peaking for the next competition that we'll just ignore these niggles that come up in the process and end up actually setting ourselves back and you know got to realize that we're in our 20s but we've still got if we want to be able to not just compete but be able to even lift or or do anything physical in the future then as you said like we've got to keep on top of your soft tissue quality your movement your joints and the rest of it yeah i think the sports massage that i had throughout which i was going you know regularly to made a huge difference stopped me get stopped me pulling my back or you know playing squash it's quite a demanding game um and it prevented injuries as well as you know kept kept me moving around and and dealing with the injuries that i'd already got for sure and and prehab is always quite boring to do when it's uh when there's nothing wrong at the time (laughs) exactly and it gets expensive as well you know people sat there thinking oh do i need to spend that 40 or 50 quid when, when there's nothing wrong with me at the moment. Well, actually, if it's then, you know, all that expensive appointments and running around afterwards, it probably is worth it. So. Yeah, definitely. With retrospect, you'd always think, well, I'd pay 40 quid to be back in that position before yeah, the injury. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, no, great. And, and going to the transplant games, you know, the commitment of some of the guys that springs to mind of, you know, just how far they'd taken themselves to get fit to go to these games. Um, was Yeah, it's quite inspiring. And I think... You know, I just think it's great to have goals. I've done that. I've gone back to my football coaching for my little lads team just to be able to fit, fit and healthy enough to run around. I think just setting those little goals for yourself has been vital to me in, in being able to, you know, get back to a decent enough level for me. That is really cool. And I suppose also for people to uh, to get onto the organ donors register if they're not already. Yeah, please, please do. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's our... our our duty and our desire to go and do that as a group of people to, to make sure that as many people as possible, um, you know, get end up with the gift that we've had and so that they can get fit and healthy again as well. Awesome. Well, Nick, it's been fascinating listening to your story and the, the shifts and everything that's, that's gone through. And there's a very, very nice application at the end as well to that. Have you got any closing thoughts for us? No, I don't think so. You know, very best of luck to you guys. I think, you know, promoting it, promoting health and well-being and fitness to, to as many people as possible is key. So, you know, the very, very best of luck to all of you guys as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, so that was Nick Whitehurst. Nick, how can we find out more about you? How can we follow you on social media or anything like that? Oh, crikey. Off the grid. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm making assumptions here. That... Stuff and, you, and you can see it. And, uh, and, and I'll, let you, I'll let you know when uh, the next Transplant Games are. The next World Games are in 2019 in Newcastle, funnily enough. So... Uh, yeah, the world of transplant sport comes to the UK, and um, so that will be great, and should be a great event as well for people to go along and watch and and, and take part. In, obviously, if you if you qualify, if you take enough drugs. Oh, cool. So yeah, so if you're in Newcastle, check out the World Transplant Games, and 
also check out the show notes on propanefitness.com for any more information on Nick if you want to find out more about him, if you want to go follow him. Are you going to be competing at this uh, this Games in Newcastle? I hope so, yeah. So the British Games next year to qualify from there to go into the GB team. So yeah, hopefully we're up in Newcastle in 2019. I think it should be the biggest and the best World Transplant Games that there's been. So yeah, I'd expect thousands of people up there. So it should be great. Right, amazing. So you can actually see Nick in Newcastle. Um, you'd, be, you'd be starstruck. So yeah, check out the show notes. And also, for anyone listening to this point, as a little reward, a little gift for you guys, go to propanefitness.com forward slash gift and we'll give you an exclusive thing that's only for podcast listeners. We'll give you a personal login to our members area and a couple of goodies in there, downloads and some video modules that are exclusive to the podcast. So check out propanefitness.com forward slash gift. Otherwise, we will speak to you next week.